you know, there's times when you preach a sermon because you happen to know a lot about that topic. And there's other times you preach a sermon because you're really passionate about it or, or because, you know, you're placed in that text and that's what you've got to study for the week. And then there are times where you preach a sermon because you really need it. And that's, what's, that's what I'm about to do here right now in this sermon on distraction. And I've decided that after this week, I'm probably, I'm either the worst or the best person to be preaching this sermon. I haven't make up, made up my mind yet. Uh, maybe the worst because I'm still really struggling with it. Or maybe the best because I get it. You know, I get it. I'm, I'm with you there. I'm, so I'm not talking to you as a person that's ascended the hill and I can say, hey, here, let me show you how to get up. I'll, I'll help you. No, I'm, I'm like the guy at the bottom who's just gotten the first foothold, the first, to- the first finger hold, you know, and I'm just starting the climb. So no matter where you're at with busyness and distraction, I can tell you I'm, I'm not far ahead of you. But I also don't think I'm that far behind most of you either. You know, as I talk to most of my Christian friends these days, um, I think most of their lives have gotten pretty insane. Maybe you would agree. My kids think that, you know, my wife and I, we blame everything on the phones. Uh, they're, they're always like, oh, you guys are just always dogging on the phones. But if you think about it, you know, I didn't get my first cell phone until I was a junior in college, and that one, you know, just could call and text. Think about how much has changed in the last 20 years even for our busyness and distraction. I mean, right now, that little machine there on my chair, uh, I, can, I can touch base with almost anybody I've ever met in my whole life on some social media platform right now, today. And that's incredible. Um, I can check the weather here and in any city around the world, just, just scrolling, easy. I can read any news source. I can learn how to do almost anything in the world from a qualified source on YouTube. Um, I can buy and sell stocks. Um, I can, you know, if, if I happen to get really bored, I can connect to my Netflix account. Netflix's mission is to eliminate boredom from the face of the earth. You watch movies and documentaries and TV series constantly. Like, you have so much at your fingertips. Can you imagine, like, is it any wonder that we are such a busy and distracted people? But constantly you're bombarded with new and wonderful and amazing things to learn and do and accomplish. And it's absolutely killing our spiritual lives. It's killing us. Nicholas Carr comments on this in his article, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. He says, what the net seems to be doing is chipping away my capacity for concentration and contemplation. Whether I'm online or not, my mind now expects to take in information the way the net distributes it, in a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words, now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. I think that's true, and I think that's true of our spiritual lives as well. I think that's true of our relationship with the Word of God as well. At one time, we, we kind of soaked and meditated on it. Now we're, we're skimming. Now we're trying to get everything like fast food, like we need it now. We need it quick. You may have heard the old saying that if the enemy can't destroy you, he'll distract you. I think that's probably more true now than it ever has been. Like the, the enemy's main tool in your life is not to get you to crumble into some sort of heinous sin. Like he's not looking to put you on the front page of the newspaper. I mean, he'll take it. But more likely than not, he's just trying to keep you distracted. So you never really discover the life that God has for you. 
C.S. Lewis makes this point over and over again in his fiction work, The Screwtape Letters, which if you've ever read The Screwtape Letters, you got to get used to it because it's written from the perspective of a senior demon, Uncle Screwtape. And he's writing to his junior demon tempter, Wormwood. And I love the advice he gives over and over about distraction. You know, he's constantly saying, hey, you know, get his focus on the newspaper boy or on this or, or put his mind on that thing or whatever. But this is what he says. He says to Wormwood in this one spot, he says, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Do you realize that? Have you realized that? That the enemy's best work in your life is done by distracting you, distracting you from what God wants for you, what God has for you. I think the key word in our passage today, the word that just jumps off the page, is distracted. Martha was distracted. Appreciate how Raymond landed on that word. She was distracted with much serving, but she was distracted. And so what we're going to look at here is Jesus' two dear friends, Mary and Martha, and a contrast between the two that's powerful, right? One example that we're likely to relate a ton with, Martha, and one example that is really a call to us, really an invitation to us in Mary's life. So here we go. Let's contrast these two ladies. But before we begin contrasting them, let's remember a couple of things about where this story sets in the Gospel of Luke. There's a lot of doing that's just been taking place. Jesus had just sent out the 72. They were casting out demons and praying for people and seeing people healed and preaching the gospel. And then he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. So there's lots of good work, good Christian work being done. And then comes this story of Mary and Martha, where Martha's actually kind of criticized, even rebuked gently, for serving and for busyness, right? And so you might say, well, this is confusing. Why, why this? Well, I think Jesus is just rounding out the picture of discipleship, right? We talk about this a lot around here at Life Church that a disciple over the, the millennia has been a person that's lived before God in community and on mission. We call it the bio. Those are the three major parts of a disciple's life, living before God in community, and on mission. And last week was a look at the on mission piece, that we as Good Samaritans want to go out and care for those people who are in our path in need. But this week is the before God piece. And I want you to take notice that what Jesus is saying here is, is not, the mission piece isn't important. What he's saying is the before God piece always comes first. That's always the foundation. Before you minister to others, you must be ministered to by God. Before you give out, you have to first receive. That's most important. If you, if you try doing it the other way around, you'll always be empty. It's important to fill up first. So this is the foundation of our Christian lives. Before we ever do for God, it's important to just be with God. And I think it's also important to note that Martha, while she's kind of the negative example here in this story, she's a fantastic lady, and she has many, many strengths. So some of you are going to relate a lot more with Martha. I do, too. Um, I'm an Enneagram 3, so I'm an achiever. I love getting things done. I don't like sitting around very much. That's, that's a huge problem for me. I've always been go, go, go my whole life. So I naturally relate a lot more with Martha. And Martha is a hardworking lady. She's obviously a person of means. She invites Jesus into her house, you notice, which that was significant back then. She owned the home. She was planning to give Jesus hospitality. Lots of great strengths that Martha has, but as we all know, our greatest strengths have a weak side, right? They have a shadow side to them. And Martha's great weakness was distraction. 
She could miss the forest for the trees if she wasn't careful. She could really major on the minor things and minor on the major things. And how many of you are like that? You know, I, I am frustrated with myself so many times because I'm like that. I care. I, I find myself spending time on things that I don't care about. And I'm sure Martha would relate with us too. But this story seems to produce kind of a stark contrast between her and her sister Mary. And I think it's also important to note right out of the gate that there's nothing in the scriptures that we have that gives us an idea that Mary was a lazy or slothful person. So this story is not saying, hey, it's bad to be busy and working hard, and it's great to be sitting around. It's nothing like that at all. In fact, what it's doing is just talking to us about the difference between distraction and focus on what's really important. Mary was likely a very hard worker herself, but she just had the insight to see what was most important in the moment. So with that in mind, let's look at these two dearly beloved ladies and see four significant contrasts between them in this passage. And the first one is Mary sitting versus Martha's running. All right? The text tells us that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. She wasn't standing. She wasn't multitasking. She wasn't trying to hear Jesus working in the kitchen kind of from the other room. She was sitting at his feet. And I certainly don't think you always need to be sitting to spend time with the Lord. As a matter of fact, I like to walk around most of the time so I don't fall asleep. You know, um, I think that's helpful. And so I go for nature walks with the Lord. I think that's good. But there's something important about sitting. There's something that sitting communicates. It says, I don't have anywhere else that I need to be. I'm, I'm content being right here. Unfortunately, I kind of almost cringe when I see that Mary was sitting because I'm like, I would have rather seen like Mary was, you know, out on a jog with Jesus or, you know, she was hanging out with, having fun with Jesus or whatever, like kind of shoulder to shoulder with him. But she's just sitting there with Jesus communicating like, look, I've cleared my schedule. I don't have anything else that I need to be doing right now. You are the most important priority to me. That's what Mary is doing right here. And I'm working on sitting more in my own life. You know, my wife has probably told me a hundred times, can't you just sit still for a while? Like, can't you just sit down and visit? Do you always have to be going anywhere? Sitting communicates the gift of an unhurried presence. And that's what Mary is doing with Jesus here. She's made him the ultimate priority, just content to be at his feet. Then Martha, on the other hand, is pictured as kind of running around, bustling in the kitchen. She's got way too much to do just to be sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus can probably hear the pots and the pans banging around in the kitchen, the cutting of vegetables. And I'm guessing the banging got louder and louder as she got more and more angry at Mary. Have you ever heard that? Like your parents are mad in the kitchen cooking and it just gets louder and louder. And you're like, oh, I know, we're in trouble. There's something going on here. Martha is busy doing good things. And did you notice that? Like she's not sinning. She's doing good things. She was distracted by much serving. We just saw a great parable about serving. Right? Jesus just elevated the role of serving your neighbor. And here Martha is busy with much serving. The only thing better in this instance would be listening to the Lord Jesus, which is exactly what Jesus says to her. And the Marthas in the room are going to argue, right? Like, well, it's only so much time before people get hungry, right? You Marthas, you're thinking that? Okay, well, the food's not going to cook itself, Right? That's what I would be saying. Somebody's got to do it. We, we can't all be just Marys and just sitting around at Jesus' feet. Like, somebody's got to do the work, right? But here's the deal. There's also such a thing as priorities. And Mary really understood that, like, what the time called for. And it may be that Martha was supposed to just 
you know, delay the preparation of the food or overly simplify it, not go quite so overboard, not have eight side dishes. Whatever it was, Jesus says, look, there's something here that Martha is missing. And that begs the question of us, what good things, good things, I'm not asking about bad things right now, but good things are preventing you from that time, that unhurried space sitting at Jesus' feet. You know, for a long time as a dad of four kids, I'm like, I don't know how dads with four kids have time alone with the Lord. Because the moment you try to think about anything, you know, I can't even go in my bathroom and get alone. Um, but the moment you try to get, get alone and do anything, you get interrupted. And um, so maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's, it's your spouse. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's a hobby. Whatever it is, it's important for us to think about. These things are good things. Martha was doing good things. But what is it that's keeping you from that unhurried time just sitting with the Lord? Because if not careful, even the good things can begin to push that out. And ironically, that's the place of greatest refreshment for us. This is not a have to. This is, a, this is, this is the place of life and joy for you. This is the invitation that's going to fill you and renew you. So Martha's sitting versus Mary's running. That's the first thing we see. But secondly, we see Mary's listening. Sorry, I got that one confused. Mary's sitting versus Martha's running. Secondly, we see Mary's listening versus Martha's distraction. Mary sat at Jesus' feet listening as the disciple. And, of course, this shows us how much women meant to Jesus because this was a role normally reserved for men in that culture. But Mary clearly feels very comfortable doing that, which tells me she's been invited to do that before, to just sit at Jesus' feet listening as a disciple to the rabbi. And it was a rare opportunity to be so near to Jesus who always had crowds pushing in on him, right? Always had lots of people needing lots of things from him. And Mary's like, I'm not letting this opportunity go. I'm seizing this. I get to be just this close to Jesus sitting at his feet. Of course, we're in the season following Pentecost right now where we're focused on the work of the Holy Spirit. And this week's emphasis in the lectionary is on hearing his voice. And I'm just wondering how much space we're making for hearing the voice of the Lord. You know, obviously God is more than capable of breaking into your life and speaking to you no matter what you're doing. I'm completely confident of that, and that should give you grace and free you up. But look at what Mary's doing here. She's making space. She's carving out time to just listen. She's turning off all the other noise around her, and she's just locked in on Jesus. I'm wondering, do you have space in your daily, weekly schedule, monthly schedule to just listen, to just listen to him? You know, part of my problem with the spiritual disciplines is that I right away turn them into tasks in which I'm either succeeding or failing at. So very quickly, they become about performance, and they become about feeling better about myself and checking off a box, and it just ruins them. It takes all the joy and the life out of them. So my spiritual director a while back last year, she said, why don't you try this, Dave? Try the discipline of contemplative prayer, which contemplative prayer, essentially, you do nothing. You do nothing. So you can't feel like you're accomplishing anything or checking off the box. You just sit there and listen. And so now a lot of times I'll start my quiet time like that. I'll just say, all right, Lord, here I am, not trying to accomplish anything. I'm just sitting here listening. I would like to listen if you would like to speak to me. And I got to confess, sometimes it feels like I'm wasting my time. Sometimes I don't hear anything. Um, but it's that discipline of just quieting yourself and just listening. And I, whenever I feel like I'm wasting my time, I remember the words of A.W. Tozer, 
who said, consider no time wasted that is spent in the acquaintance of his presence. I like that. Mary felt like that. She felt like it was the best use of her time at that moment. She wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. She was listening. Martha, on the other hand, Luke says, is distracted with much serving. That's where we really start to see Luke's intent for including this passage and this story. He's not talking about the evil of work, once again. He's highlighting, look, distraction is really the enemy here. It's important for all of us to be hard workers like Martha. That's a, that's a good Christian virtue. But when our work or anything else gets us distracted from God and from what's most important, that's when things really start to fall apart. And as, it says, as, as I said in the intro, you know, distraction is the spiritual peril of our day. I really believe that. Like if the enemy can keep you swiping on your phone and clicking and he can keep the thing buzzing and dinging and all the other things that it does, you will not have space in your mind or in your life to grow in God. He won't have to worry about you growing in God. There won't be space for that. He just wants to distract you. So what can you do to combat it? What am I trying to do? Because, you know, I'm case number one, struggling with this. Well, first of all, the discipline that I read over and over again with all the people talking about this, th the most essential discipline is Sabbath. You're having 24 hours just set aside to unplug from all the other things that you're doing, you know, from your emails and from your texts and from social media. Just leave the phone at home. And I love what Eugene Peterson says about the Sabbath. He says, boil it down to these two things. You pray and you play. That's what you do on the Sabbath, right? You connect with God and you connect with your family, your friends, closer, those close to you, and you just enjoy. You remember that you're not God, that the world keeps spinning without you. And it's just a really, really great time to receive from him, to be renewed. He, he knows you're weak and broken, that you need rest. And he comes to give to you on those Sabbath days. So Sabbath has been a lifesaver for me and my family. I love it. It's my favorite day of the week. Um, I need it for sure. But from then on, what, what I've found to help is kind of a form of digital minimal, minimalism. You know, like just considering getting rid of social media. I think the studies are out. It's not doing anybody any good. Um, the app developers have found ways to get us and keep us addicted because it makes people tons of money. And I'll even say to charity, like, let's not post that on Facebook. Like, the church has a Facebook page still, and I'm still kind of thinking about getting rid of it. Because I don't want to send you guys to a platform that's just going to serve to spiritually distract you and destroy you. I mean, yeah, I know we put different, different information on there. But it's like, I would rather that the world sees nothing about Life Church and you guys can actually have space in your life to just hear from God. To just be quiet. Let alone us giving you another ding. I don't want another ding in your life. Another buzz. Another, you know, urge to click. Because that stuff is killing us. It's killing our ability. Our attention spans are shortening all the time. So consider getting off of social media. I've had a couple of years off of social media. I jump onto Facebook to check on my walleye league. That's about it. Um, once every summer. And, and I really just enjoy not knowing a lot about what's going on in that world. It's really been good for me. Um, Consider turning off the notifications on your phone altogether. You know, uh, you got to parent these things. You got to manage them. They are, they are useful tools, but they are tools that are designed to control you. I mean, there's really smart people developing things to get your attention, to know how to sell things to you and control you in those ways. So, so figure that out. Um, consider having a time to write emails. You know, all of us are working all the time now because 
we can email just while I'm brushing my teeth. I'm emailing. I'm like, what is wrong with this? You know, I'm sitting here working all the time. Consider having spaces and times allotted for those things. And then lastly, you know, I've found that you just need to know what are the particular distractions for you. So for me, it's ESPN, it's sports, it's um, YouTube fishing videos, because you can learn how to catch any fish on YouTube now, and it's, it's amazing. Um, but, it's, you know, sometimes you've got to keep that in check. You've got to say, hey, look, this is getting out of hand. I need to fast from this. I, I just need to take a break from it, quiet my soul, quiet my spirit, so that I can, again, start to hear from God. Whatever it is for you, I want to encourage you, don't be legalistic about it, but at the same time, be aggressive about it. Um, I love what Dallas Willard said to John Ortberg. John asked him one time famously over the phone, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? And Dallas Willard was known for his long pauses, so he paused. And he says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry and distraction are just, you know, synonyms. They're close cousins. Same kind of thing. And, he, and Ortberg said to him, he's like, I was anxious to cram as many spiritual un- units of wisdom into at least amount of time as possible. So I said, okay, that's a good one. Now, what else? Another long pause. There is nothing else, he said. You must spiritually, or you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That's what I would tell you. Like, get ruthless about it. Your spiritual life depends upon it. This is not a legalism kind of thing. It's like, don't you want life flowing out of you? Don't you want his life flowing through you? So that's the second thing, Mary's uh, attention, Mary's listening versus Martha's distraction. The the third contrast we see here is Mary's peace and Martha's stress. You notice that? Just the internal world of the two ladies here, the, the mood of the two ladies. Mary appears to be completely at peace. And that's hard for me because if I hear some pots and pans banging around in the kitchen, I'm like, that's going to destroy my peace pretty, pretty soon. I'd rather have that person, like, sit down so we can all be peaceful together. But Mary's apparently just locked in on Jesus here, mesmerized with him. And you understand that being with Jesus is, is being with the most peaceful person in the world. I was reading a book by Brady Boyd this past week, and he said, imagine the, most, the busiest person that you know. Right? We all know this person, or maybe we've been this person, right? And you sit down with them for a lunch. They get two or three really important phone calls that they have to take or texts they have to respond to. They're kind of half listening to you like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And, and you, you just kind of walk away going like, how I feel like I was kind of an interruption. Like they always had things they needed to be doing. And he said, imagine the most peaceful person in your life. You know, that, pe- that person that just plans their schedule really well, lots of margin. You sit down with them. They're really invested in what you have to say. They just... They care deeply, um, and you walk away feeling so filled with life and optimism and joy, so cared about. And he said, sadly, when he talks to people, he, most people say they feel like God is the first person. Kind of annoyed, kind of irritated, like, oh, they're coming to me with their stuff again, you know. And, and he's like, the reality is nothing could be further from the truth. God is the most peaceful, inviting person in the universe. And we see that here with Mary. Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, her demeanor is just mirroring the demeanor of her Lord Jesus. Peace himself, she's sitting in the presence of peace himself, and her, his peace is overwhelming her. That's the same offer that God has extended to us. He says, come away with me for a while. Why don't you get rid of some stress? Why don't you come away? I've got life for you. I've got joy for you. I've got peace for you that you know nothing about. 
Why don't you come away? Why don't you rest for a while? Poor Martha, on the other hand, she was stressed out. And most of us have been here before, haven't we? Nobody's helping me. You know, all the work's falling on my shoulders. I'm carrying way more than I ought to. You heard yourself say these kinds of things. And Martha's stress just keeps building and building until she boils over. You hear the pots and pans getting louder and louder. She's mumbling under her breath. And finally, it gets to a breaking point. And she, this is what she does. She walks into the living room. She rebukes the God of the universe and then gives him a command. Oops. Oops-a-daisy. And that's what distraction and stress does to us, right? It makes us crazy people. It makes us the worst possible version of ourselves. Like if Martha knew Jesus was the Lord, this is the Lord. That's how she referred to him. But she lost it in that moment. She just lost it. And of course, Jesus comes back with this gentle rebuke. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and Troubled about many things, and many of us need to hear that gentle rebuke of the Lord. You know, I was lying awake in my bed Tuesday night just worrying about, stressing about silliest kinds of things. And I, I had the scripture running through my mind, and it's like Jesus just came to me. He's like, Dave, Dave, you're worried and troubled about so many things, you know? And you don't hear that, that rebuke. Hear that like a, the rebuke of a grandparent, you know, like when you're a kid and you're kind of losing your mind. And, and you're just having a hissy fit, and your grandparent goes, oh, sweetheart, no, no, what's going on? Hey, come here. Hey, tell me about it. You're, you're super stressed out about something. That's the kind of feel that this rebuke of Jesus has with Martha. Many of us need to hear that same thing today. It's so filled with love, even an invitation, which brings us to the last contrast. We see Mary's one thing versus Martha's many things. And Mary was fixated on one thing, being with Jesus, sitting at his feet and listening to him as a disciple. That was it. That was all that was on her to-do list. Sure, she had other things that she had to do that day, but she had, she had made space. She had said, because Jesus was her big thing, everything else was being built around Jesus. Everything else was being bent around him. And that's the way that it ought to be. She could put all those other things off until later. Martha, on the other hand, had many things, the text says, that she was concerned about. She had a list of to-dos that was pretty long if she was going to pull off this event. She wanted to be the hostess with the mostest. She wanted to really impress Jesus. She wanted to give presents to Jesus rather than being present with Jesus. That's what Martha was doing. And as often is the case when we get going on many things at the same time, we get distracted from the most important things, and we end up having success in the dumbest things. Ever realize that? I've done quite a bit of marital counseling in the last decade or so, and um, a lot of times I've, I've noticed this. Couples that are struggling, they're never struggling in every area. They're wildly successful in some areas. And one of the things that I've noticed more recently is a lot of young couples will come to me, and they're just killing it financially, making a quarter million, half million, million dollars a year. And I'm like, wow, A plus in the finance category, no debt, and you're making a ton of money but your marriage is on the rocks. You're not spending any time with your kids. Your health is going downhill. Do you ever realize, did you look at the rest of the report card? Like, it's D's and F's all the way down, you guys. Like, doing great in this one category, but you realize there is a cost to that. Like if you're going to work 80 hours a week, there's going to be a cost to that. Succeeding at one thing is going to limit you in other areas. It's going to have costs in other areas. 
There's always a choice before us, and I think that's the big thing that Jesus wants us and Martha to see here. Mary and Martha both had choices about that which was most, most important to them, but that's just it. They had a choice. Look what Jesus says in verse 42. Mary has chosen the good portion. That means that the same exact choice was put before Mary and Martha. Come and sit at my feet. Come be my disciples. Come learn from me. Come receive my joy and my life and my peace. Jesus had extended the exact same invitation to both. Mary chose Jesus. Martha said, I get stuff done. The same invitation is going forward to each one of us. Jesus says to us, I want relationship with you. I have life for you. I'm the one that can restore you and renew you and give you peace and joy. I want relationship with you. And if we ask ourselves, what more can Jesus do to prove that that's his intention? I mean, look what he did for us. He left his home in heaven, all the wealth, all the riches that he had there, became a man, lived the perfect life that we could never live, died the death that we were facing on the cross, rose again from the dead to conquer Satan, sin, and death for us so that he could have us back, so that he could have relationship renewed and restored with us. That's what he did for us. He says, I want you. You're the prize to me. You're the one that I want. And and I'm the one that you need. And I don't know if you ever realize this, but God doesn't need us to be happy. He was fully good before he created us. He doesn't have a need for us, but he knows we desperately need him. We were created for him. Won't you carve out some time in the next weeks to just be with him? Won't you hear that invitation that's coming to you, just like it came to Mary and Martha? Come and be with me. Come and get life for me. Come and get peace for me. Mary chose the good portion. What will it be for you? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for our great-grandmothers, Mary and Martha, both of them. And though Martha gets used as the negative example here, we know we're so often like her, and Mary probably was too at times. Would you help us, Lord, with our distraction? In our humanity, we get caught up in things that are silly, things that are not important, things that aren't going to last. Help us to keep the big things the big things. And help us to keep you the biggest thing in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.